So that's all I have in the way of announcements. Father, we do pray that you would just bless this time uh, as we enter into our study tonight. Lord, we're very grateful. Um, we have an election coming up. We have a winter that's coming, the holiday season. And, and there's a lot of uncertainty in different ways as we enter into this time. But, Lord, we know that your word is certain. We thank you for the snow that has come and helped suppress the fires that has done so much damage. Day after day and even week after week, we were dealing with the ash that was coming down on us, the smoke, not even able to see the sun, not able to see the stars at night. And, and I think about yesterday after the snow that we were able to see the mountains for the first time in a long time. But, Lord, I also know that there are those who are hurting and those in need. And we just pray for them. We just pray that um, you be with them. And as people are going to go back and, and how difficult it's going to be to see their homes uh, in ashes and in ruins. Uh, there are those who have been displaced. They don't even know if their home is standing. We just pray for your comfort. We pray for your care upon them. And, and, Lord, we pray for the first responders. We pray for uh, them that have been uh, so wonderfully uh, putting themselves out there, their, their courage, their commitment, and trying to save homes. And, and, Lord, we thank you for their service. We just lift them up to you. We pray for additional strength, that they would have the resources that they need. And, Lord, I also, I just want to pray for those in the medical field that for the last eight months have been on the front lines of this, this COVID, the nurses, the doctors, uh, those who are working in the nursing homes, and, and those who are working in services that are delivering goods and in the grocery stores that are there every day for us. Lord, I just pray for your protection upon them. And, and Lord, strengthen them and bless them. And, Lord, protect our church, protect our families from this pandemic and it's very real and it continues to spike we just pray for your healing upon um, our community our state and our nation and lord as we enter into a few days from an election that, that lord it's been lord quite interesting but we know that you're the one that sits those in authority you're the one that sits on the throne but we pray for our nation we pray that there be a turning to you. And, and Lord, as we as Christians, that we would continue to stand for righteousness. And Lord, that we would voice that. And Lord, that we would get our, our voice in, in voting. And Lord, we just lift up our nation to you, knowing that you're our hope. And, and that there be a, a spiritual revival, a spiritual awakening that would take place in our nation. Because that's the hope of our nation. And so, Lord, we do pray that as we enter into the holiday season with um, so much uncertainty, that, Lord, we would keep our eyes on you. We're all weary and tired, but we would find our rest in you. And that you would bless um, us and our families and provide for us and help us to keep strong in you, Lord. And, Lord, to keep our eyes on you in every way. Bless this time now in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, as we enter into chapter 46 of the book of Jeremiah, we're in the final section of Jeremiah. We've, we cover 45 chapters. Uh, we have seen Jeremiah prophesying to the nation 
concerning their disobedience and their false worship that would lead to the Babylonians coming in and three different waves of, of taking the people off captive. The captivity would last for 70 years. But we know that Jeremiah is speaking to the people to turn back to the Lord and given the warning of the Lord that they refuse to listen. And so Jerusalem ends up being destroyed in the third and final assault on Jerusalem, uh, deportation of those taken captive. Jerusalem is destroyed. Jerusalem is in rubble as well as Solomon's temple. And we will see an account of that at the very last chapter, chapter 52 of the book of Jeremiah. So all these chapters we have seen that the weeping prophet Jeremiah, and keep in mind as he's prophesying these things, he's known as the weeping prophet because he weeps as uh, this word goes out to the people, a harsh word. They would not listen to the word of God. They followed the dictates of their evil hearts. They said, we will not listen to you, Jeremiah. And even after the destruction of Jerusalem, when there could have been peace in the land of God's people, they would go off to Egypt. And we saw the word that Jeremiah would give to them to don't go to Egypt, because if you do, there's going to be desolation and there's going to be pestilence and destruction and there's going to be death that's going to come to you. And it tells us today how important it is that we stay where God wants us to be, to follow his word, to be ones that we take heed to his word, his truth given to us. Because if we don't, there will be desolation in our own lives. Uh, if we go to Egypt, which is a picture of the world, uh, it's not going to help us. And so very important lessons that we've looked at over the last several weeks and months as we've traveled through these chapters of the book of Jeremiah. Now as we come to the final section, chapter 46, to the end of the book of Jeremiah, particularly as we come to chapter 51. And then, as I said, chapter 52, the final chapter, is a recount of the destruction of Jerusalem. But in these final chapters here, we see that Jeremiah is given proclamations. He's prophesying concerning certain nations that surrounded uh, uh, Judah. And as we go through these chapters, we're going to see that he'll give this uh, proclamation against Egypt. And then uh, against the Philistines, and then Moab, and Ammon, and Babylon. And as we go through these chapters, we have to kind of put on our thinking caps a little bit because Jeremiah is going to give some prophecy that will be fulfilled, uh, what is called near fulfillment. That is, we look at it now, we look back and we see that those prophecies were fulfilled. Some of those prophecies would be fulfilled just a short time after Jeremiah gives those prophecies. But also we're going to see that Jeremiah is going to give prophecies concerning the latter days that are yet to be fulfilled. And when you go through the books of the uh, prophets in the Old Testament, such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, the book of Daniel, we see that there's near fulfillment that they would speak of. That is prophecy that would come to pass that, that we can look back at and say, yes, when they wrote it, it was still all yet future. But there is a near fulfillment. We see that with Daniel. I'm teaching Daniel to uh, some students at Calvary Bible Institute in Peru. And going through those chapters, we see that Daniel, you know, would give those visions of those empires that would come on the scene after Babylon, the Medo-Persians, Alexander the Great and the Grecians, and then the Roman Empire. Those are all uh, prophecies that were fulfilled, so that near fulfillment. But then he would speak about 
uh, a revived Roman Empire that would be in the last days, the ten horns, the ten toes. He would speak of a near fulfillment of a little horn that spoke of a Syrian king right before the time of Jesus. But then he would speak of the little horn, which is the Antichrist, that is yet future, that will arise in the tribulation period. So you really have to think through this. The near fulfillment that we're going to see that was fulfilled, but then there's some future fulfillment that is yet to be fulfilled. And here's the confidence that we can have in the Word of God, knowing that all the near fulfillments or the prophecies that were given that have already been fulfilled, every dot and tittle of it, that we can have confidence that the future fulfillments are going to come to pass as well. And that's what makes this book so absolutely amazing, that God dares to give us his word as God's word is inspired. God breathed, put to the page, and prophecy is a big part of that, and it's 100% accurate. And it's like there were prophecies given of Jesus through the prophets, right? Through Isaiah and through the other prophets that we have here that spoke of coming Messiah in his first coming of the birth and of the life and the uh, death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was all fulfilled, those prophecies concerning his first advent. But there are many, a couple hundred prophecies that are given concerning his second coming. And as we see that all those prophecies came to pass concerning his first coming, that we can have confidence that all the prophecies concerning his second coming are going to come to pass as well. That's why I love this book. That's why I love to study prophecy, because the Lord tells us what's going to happen. And in these times where we wonder, Lord, what's going to happen to our nation? What's going to happen in the future? Uh, how is this world going to end? It, you know, when is it going to end? How is it going to end? All those things. We can know that, that what's going to happen in the future. We don't know exactly when the rapture of the church is going to happen, for example. Uh, we don't know when the tribulation period is going to start. But there is a lot that we can know. And we can know the master plan. And that is that we belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. And Jesus is going to come back and establish his kingdom. After the second coming of Jesus Christ, he will come back. And before that, there's seven years of tribulation period that even Jeremiah spoke of that's called Jacob's trouble, particularly the last three and a half years of that seven-year period. And we're going to see that he's going to give prophecies concerning that period of time. And we're going to look at it. And when the tribulation period starts, we don't know for sure, but we do know that we're in the last days. We know where it's all headed, what's going to culminate to bring the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that brings me great comfort. When Paul wrote about the rapture of the church, when he wrote about, you know, the coming of the Lord, we're children of the day, not of the night, he said, comfort one another with these words. So I love to look at this. We're going to, to uh, go through these chapters as we begin with chapter 46, the judgment on Egypt. Let's begin to look at that in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet uh, against the nations, against Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, which is by the river Euphrates in Sharshamis, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Now, these dates are given to us to give us some background, historical background on what was going on as Egypt was moving to go to war against Babylon. 
And, and Pharaoh Necho would uh, pass through Israel. Remember that Babylon is there to the north and to the east. Here is Egypt to the south and to the west. In between is Israel. And as Egypt is marching through Israel, that we see that uh, Josiah, the last of the godly kings of Judah, this is the year 609 B.C., he would go and interfere with Necho Pharaoh, Pharaoh Necho, the, the king of Egypt. And, and the king killed Josiah. And so that was the end of Josiah's reign. And he was moving through to battle Babylon. And we know that in 609 B.C., there was this famous battle, the Battle of Sharshamis, that's mentioned here. And Pharaoh in Egypt would be defeated by the Babylonians, uh, and uh, the Babylonians are now the world dominant power in the Far East. This all happens in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. That would put it in 605 B.C. So 605 B.C., uh, we know that Nebuchadnezzar would first come into Jerusalem. Uh, he has defeated the Egyptians. He gets word that his father has passed away. He needs to get back to Babylon to secure the throne. And on his way, he stops in Jerusalem, takes Daniel and the choice man of Judah away captive to Babylon. That's the first deportation uh, of captives to go to Babylon. And we know that the 70 years of captivity would begin at that time. So here is this, this word given, this judgment on Egypt, that Egypt would be defeated by the Babylonians. And verse 3, order the buckler and shield and draw near to battle. Harness the horses and mount up your horsemen. Stand forth your helmets, Polish the spears and put on the armor. Why have I seen them dismayed and turned back? Their mighty ones are beaten down. They have speedily fed and did not look back. For fear was all around, says the Lord in verse 6. Do not let the swift flee away, nor the mighty men escape. They will stumble and fall towards the north and by the river Euphrates. The river Euphrates is a famous river that's in the, the uh, nation today that we know as Iraq. That's where Babylon was. And Babylon would overtake Egypt as we read these verses here. And the Egyptians would try to retreat. Um, they would try to escape. But Babylon would catch up with them, overtook them. And, and Egypt did not escape. There was some findings that were called uh, archaeologists that they called the Babylonian Chronicles. And, and archaeologists dug them up. They're now in the British Museum in London. And as they... Uh, translate those Babylonian chronicles, it confirms what the Bible here is saying. Um, the, the confusion at this time of the Egyptians, the hopelessness of the Egyptians in that battle. It's amazing that also uh, the prophecy of the Word of God that is so accurate, uh, but also the historical account of the Bible is very accurate as well. And it really shows us and proves to us that God's Word is true. It's given to us by an all-knowing God. So uh, there were those who... who um, you know, as he's writing here, uh, that the Egyptians thought that they would uh, overtake Babylon. They weren't. They tried to escape. They couldn't. And it's all confirmed even by the spate of the archaeologists as they dig up these th things and find these records that uh, were buried for 
thousands of years. And then in verse 7, who is this coming up like a flood, whose waters move like the rivers? Egypt rises up like a flood, and its waters move like the rivers. And he says, I will go up and cover the earth, and I will destroy the city and its inhabitants. Come up, O horses, and rage, O chariots, and let the mighty men come forth, the Ethiopians and the Libyans. The Ethiopians, of course, down south, the Libyans in North Africa who handle the shield, and the Lydians who handle and bend the bow. And this is the day of the Lord uh, God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. The sword shall devour, it shall be satiated and made drunk with their blood. For the Lord God of hosts has a sacrifice, verse 10, in the north country by the river Euphrates. As we read these verses here, we read the Egyptians had this huge army and it would be like the Nile River in a flood and the military leaders were sure of victory. And they had these mercenaries that joined them that listed here, the Ethiopians, the, the Libyans, the Lydians, that joined them for this, this battle, but it was of no help. Uh, they were eager to fight. Um, they were wanting to do battle with the Babylonians, but the Babylonians were too strong. Verse 11, go up to Gilead and take balm, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt. In vain you will use many medicines. You shall not be cured. The nations have heard of your shame, and your cry has filled the land. For the mighty man has stumbled against the mighty. They both have fallen together. So uh, God had determined that they would lose. And as we read here in verse 10, for this is the day of the Lord, and Egypt would come to shame and be defeated. And know this, that Egypt will be defeated, that the world will be defeated. Remember, God brought his people out of Egypt and there they were backed up against the Red Sea and, and the Egyptians were, you know, coming after them in their chariots and were going to destroy them. And, and as they were there against the Red Sea and, and mountain ranges on both sides, God ended up defeating the Egyptians and destroying the Egyptians. He made a way of escape for God's people. Listen, God will find a way he brings us a way of escape in other words we have hope that we are going to go to heaven and we're going to belong to a kingdom that lasts forever and egypt is not going to win sometimes we feel like oh here are the egyptian chariots and maybe particularly in this last year you felt this way that i'm about ready to be run over by the world and there's no escape and how am i going to get out of this the lord is there and he gives us a hope, and he gives us a way out, and he gives us certainty. And keep that in mind, because the world's not going to win. The world's not going to win against the church. The world's not going to win against you and your life, because you have Jesus Christ. And in verse 13, the word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah the prophet, how Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, would come and strike the land of Egypt and declare in Egypt and proclaim in Migdol, proclaim in Noph and in Tephanus, say, stand fast and prepare yourselves for the sword devours all around you. And why are your valiant men swept away? They did not stand because the Lord drove them 
away. Uh, verse 16, he made many fall. Yes, one fell upon another. And they said, Arise and let us go back to our own people and to the land of our nativity from the oppressing sword. They cried there, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is but a noise. He has passed by the appointed time. As I live, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts, surely as Tabor is among the mountains and as Carmel by the sea, so he shall come. And then in verse 19, O you daughter dwelling in Egypt, prepare yourself to go into captivity, captivity, for Noph shall be waste and desolate without inhabitant. So Nebuchadnezzar defeated the Egyptians again, 605 BC at Shar Shemes, um, as uh, he would not invade the land of Egypt actually till later. Remember that as we saw uh, in our last couple studies, that it was uh, that um, the remnant of Judah after Gedaliah, the governor, was killed. This is all after the destruction of Jerusalem and that story of Ishmael coming and killing Gedaliah, the governor, and uh, some of the Chaldeans, and uh, he would flee with the remnant of the people that were there, Mitzpah, on the east side of the Jordan, and then Johanna and some of the others went and got them, and they went to the area around Bethlehem, and they said, Jeremiah prophesied for us. They were afraid that the Chaldeans were going to come and, and, you know, do them in because what had happened, what Ishmael had done. And you recall that Jeremiah said, don't go to Egypt because if you do, again, destruction is going to come to you and, and it's going to be bad news. But they went anyway. So one of the prophecies that Jeremiah gave is that uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon is going to come in and take this area and is going to you know, destroy the Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. Well, that ended up happening. This is after uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in about 568 B.C. And uh, we see that he would come in in the land of Egypt. So uh, those three cities described here um, in chapter 44, des described here in this chapter as well, in chapter 46, Again, the, the, their haste to escape the Egyptians would fall upon one another. And Pharaoh is a noise, as it says. He's, he's a big noise. He's a loud mouth. You know, the world, there's a lot of noise out there right now. There's a lot of noise in Egypt. And we need to make sure that we are listening to the voice of the Lord. Because if we only listen to the noise of the world, the noise of Pharaoh, man, it's overwhelming. And it confuses us, and it's a bummer, and it gets us down. We need to make sure that we're hearing from the Lord and that we're hearing his voice and reading his word and receiving his comfort. But let's continue in verse 20 of chapter 46. Egypt is a very pretty heifer, but destruction comes. It comes from the north. Also, her mercenaries are in her midst like fat bulls, for they also are turned back. They have fled away together. They did not stand. For the day of their calamity has come upon them. The time of their punishment. Her noise shall go like a serpent. And for they shall march with an army and come against her with axes. Like those who chop wood. They shall cut down her forest, says the Lord. Verse 23. Though it cannot be searched. Because they are innumerable and more numerous than grasshoppers. The daughters of Egypt shall be ashamed. She shall be delivered into the the hand of the people of the north. So graphic images here. Egypt is like a, a, a fatted heifer. And, and I think that this was kind of a dig 
on Egypt. It just, it, you know, because one of the Egyptian gods was a bull. And, and here you're like a fatted heifer and stampeded as the Babylonians came and, and the Egyptians had to flee. And they're like a fleeing serpent. All they can do is hiss. or like trees that are going to be chopped down by axes. Uh, Babylon is like a swarm of locusts. You're going to be defeated. They're going to come upon you from the north. And then in verse 25, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, Behold, I will bring punishment on Ammon of of No and Pharaoh in Egypt with their gods and their kings, Pharaoh and those who trust in him. And I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of his servants. Afterwards, it shall be inhabited as in the days of old, says the Lord. So here is, as um, we read these two verses, God was spared neither Egypt nor their idols, um, their king, or those things that they worshipped. And those things couldn't help Pharaoh. Those, those false gods could not help Egypt. And there's not one example in the Old Testament, as God's people turned to false idols and were worshipping them, that those idols, those false gods, helped them not one example And that's a very important lesson for us. The foolishness of worshiping anything other than our Lord. Because the idols of the world will not help us. And especially in our time of need. Especially when when we're being overwhelmed or we're being run over by the world. Uh, We need to turn to the true and living God and give our, our, um, you know, put our faith in him every day and look to him. And so verse 27 but do not fear, O my servant Jacob, and do not be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be at ease. No one shall make him afraid. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, says the Lord. For I am with you, and I will make a complete end of all the nations to which I have driven you. But I will not make a complete end of you. I will rightly correct you. For I will not leave you wholly unpunished. So we know that Judah, again, because of their disobedience, would go off into captivity. But the Lord said that I'm still your future and your hope. That that I'm going to bring you back into the land, which after the 70 years of captivity, they would come back. So here, as uh, he talks about this terrible invasion of Babylon to Egypt... And, and the invasion was so bad that the, the fathers would leave their children, uh, as uh, we see here. And we're going to, to read. And we know that as we look at this, that Judah, I'm going to save you. Other nations will be you know, destroyed, but I'm going to preserve you. And at this time, it seemed like nothing could stop Nebuchadnezzar. But God's promises would come to pass. Twice God said, don't be afraid in the verses that we just read. No matter how dark the day, God always gives his people the bright light of his promises. And he tells us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How many times do we read that in the scripture? I I think about that, um, that when Jesus was born, the very first message was don't be afraid. When the resurrection came, the, the very first message of the angel to the women that came to the tomb is, don't be afraid. And as I see the things around me, and as I think, Lord, things seem to be getting worse, that I don't have to be afraid. 
because I have the Lord and his promises are true for me. He desires to preserve me. He's going to preserve you as well. He's going to see us through. So as we move into chapter 47, here's a judgment against the Philistines. The Philistines, of course, were on the very western coast of, of what today is Israel. Uh, as you read, particularly 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, you see they were the main enemies of Israel during the days where Saul was king and also where David was king. But this judgment against Philistia is given in chapter 47, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against the Philistines before Pharaoh attacked Gaza. Thus says the Lord, verse 2, Behold, waters rise out of the north and shall be an overflowing flood. They shall overflow the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell within. Then the men shall cry, and all the inhabitants of the land shall wail. At the noise of the stamping ho stomping hooves of the strong horses, at the rushing of the chariots, at the rumbling of his wheels, the fathers will not look back for their children, lacking courage. Verse 4, because of the day that comes to plunder all the Philistines that cut off from Tyre and Sidon, every helper who remains. For the Lord shall plunder the Philistines, the remnant of the country of Captor. Baldness has come upon Gaza. Ascalon is cut off with the remnant of their valley. How long will, I, will you cut yourselves? In verse 6, O you, sword of the Lord, how long until you are quiet? Put yourselves up to your scabbard. Rest and be still. How can it be quiet? Seeing the Lord has given it to a charge against Ascalon and against the seashore, there he has appointed it. So Pharaoh would attack Gaza probably in 609 B.C. when he's going from Egypt. He's moving through Israel, heading up to the Valley of Megiddo. As he's passing through, um, you know, he attacks Gaza, that area along the coast. That's where, when he gets to the Valley of Megiddo, Josiah uh, was then killed. And then he goes up into Sharshamist uh, to do battle against the Babylonians where he had to retreat and what we read about in chapter 46. So it would be later in 604 that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Ascalon. Ascalon was a major city of Philistines. So Nebuchadnezzar, he, he comes in 605 and takes away some of the captives, Judah. He goes over to, to that area of Gaza, and he defeats them and destroys Ascalon, uh, the major cities of the Philistines that are mentioned there. And so terrible was the, in, the invasion. Again, the fathers would leave their children, as we read about in verse 3, at the noise of the hoofs of the strong horses. The fathers will not look back for their children, lacking courage. That's how frightened that they were. You know, one of the things that we need to remember is this. Isaiah chapter 49 declares to us, uh, says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have uh, compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, but the Lord goes on to say, but I will never forget. I will never forget. And Jesus promised you and me that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us, that he will always be with us, even until the end of the age. And that brings me comfort. The Lord hasn't forsaken any of us. He knows us. He loves us. And he is with us. And we become afraid at times or we lack courage or we become weak. 
to know that the Lord is there. And he says to us, as he has already said to his people, you don't need to be afraid that you're not going to perish, that I'm going to see you through. I got promises for you that we can stand on those promises. What a tremendous blessing that is for you and I to know the word of God that is declared to us. So let's cover a few more verses in chapter 48 as we go into chapter 48. And and, uh, we read that this is a judgment on Moab. Now, Moab is in what today is Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan River. And in Genesis chapter 19, we see that the descendants of Moab, the Moabites, we read about them in the historical books, don't we, of the Old Testament. They were descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. And for the most part, they were the enemies of the Jews. But during the Babylonian rise to power, the Moabites, as we're going to read about them, and then the Ammonites, uh, where we'll read about them, they would try to align with Judah. And you recall that it was Jeremiah that came to those kings and said, listen, um, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar uh, because it's not going to work and he's going to crush you guys. And they did anyway. So here is these judgments against them that are described to us. Let's begin to look at it in verse 1 of chapter 48. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, woe to Nebo. For it is plunder. Kerjath uh, Jerim is shammed and taken. The high stronghold is, is shamed and, and dismayed. And, and no more praises uh, of Moab. Uh, in Heshbon, they have devised evil against her. Come and let us cut her off as a nation. And you also shall be cut down, O madmen. The sword shall pursue you. A voice of crying shall be from uh, horanium, plundering and great destruction. So he says that you're going to be shamed here uh, as he speaks against Moab. Uh, they would again align themselves with Judah to try to defeat Nebuchadnezzar. And it was in 582 BC that Babylon invaded Moab shortly after the destruction of Jerusalem and left much destruction and death. And Nebo is mentioned here. Notice, woe to Nebo. Nebo uh, is mentioned in the Old Testament as the place where Moses died, remember? Now, when you go to Israel today, uh, you can stand there in the Jordan Valley and you look to the east and there is Jordan and uh, Mount Nebo is there. And we point Mount Nebo out to people. That's where Moses stood. Remember that the Lord said, you're not going to go into the promised land, uh, Moses. Uh, but he would take Moses up on Mount Nebo, and Moses was able to supernaturally see all of the promised land. So that's where Moses would see. He was buried up there somewhere, and it's fascinating to be able to see that, that, that actually that's where all of that took place. And um, it's a very beautiful place. So here it gives account to many cities and how they were destroyed in this chapter, which tells us how great a detail the Lord will give when he wants to uh, give the historical account and, and when it comes to prophecy, making these prophecies. But let's continue now in verse 6. Flee, save your lives, and be like the juniper in, in the wilderness. Uh, for because you have trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken and Shamash shall go forth into captivity, his priests and his princes together. Verse 8, and the plunder shall come against every city. No one shall escape. Uh, the valley also shall perish, and the plain shall be destroyed as the Lord has spoken. 
Give wings to Moab that she may flee and get away. For her city shall be desolate without any to dwell in them. Curse is he who does the work of the Lord deceitfully. And curse is he who keeps back his sword from blood. So she will flee, run for their lives is what they're going to do uh, to do to escape the coming judgment. Like a juniper in the wilderness, dry, deserted, sparse. And verse 7 tells us the reason of, of her judgment because she was full of pride. Uh, because you have trusted in your works and your treasures. It speaks of pride. People today do that. They trust in their treasures. They, they trust in their doings. They trust in, you know, their works, what they have, rather than trusting the Lord. And you know what Proverbs tells us, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, a very familiar verse. We need to be so careful of pride. We need to be so careful that, that we're not trusting in those things over trusting the Lord. We're very thankful for what the Lord has done. Uh, we want to, to be good stewards of what God has given to us, but we will, do not want to be prideful and trust in those things. And that's what Moab was doing. They were trusting in, in their treasures and their own works. There was pride. And the Lord says, I'm going to bring you down. And in verse 11, Moab has been at ease from his youth and has settled on his dregs. He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him, and his scent has not changed. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I will send him wine workers who will tip him over and empty his vessels and break the bottles. Moab shall be ashamed of Shamash, and the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel. Uh, their confidence. So as we look at these verses, Moab's history is one of relative peace. Verse 11, ease from his youth is mentioned here. Jeremiah uh, compared Moab to wine left in the dreg dregs and, and not been poured uh, from one jar to another. So in their making of wine, what they would do is the grapes were crushed and the juice was put into a jar or wineskin. It was allowed to ferment and, and during that time, the sediments, you know, would settle. And so they would then, after so much time, they would pour it uh, into a new wineskin. They would, you know, drain it. They would strain it to make sure that those sediments were out. Because if you didn't get those sediments out, the dregs out, then it would not be good wine. It would ruin it, and it would spoil it. And the object lesson here that the Lord is giving is that the people had become complacent and lazy. And God will arouse them out of their complacency. The Lord will send men that will break the bottles, tip over the vessels, and Moab would be ashamed of Shamash, as Israel would be ashamed of Bethel. Now, does Bethel ring a bell with you? Bethel was a place that Jacob would go to when he was fleeing from his brother uh, you know, um, Esau. And as Jacob is there, he has a vision there in the book of Genesis of angels ascending and descending. And, and the Lord would confirm the covenant that would go from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob. And Jacob, I'm going to give you all this land. And Jacob, he got up and he said, the Lord was here and I didn't know it. And he called it Bethel, which is the house of God. It was a very special place. But later on in their history, after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king. The ten northern tribes broke away from Judah, that is Judah and Benjamin. So the nation is split. 
And the first king of the house of Israel, the ten northern tribes, was uh, Jeroboam, and he built a temple to the, dedicated to the golden calf in Dan and then in Bethel. So Bethel became a place of idol worship. It was a place where the Lord showed himself, a very special place to Jacob, but it had turned into a place of idol worship, a place where they worshiped the golden calf. And so he, he's saying that, that here Moab would be ashamed, the Shamash, as Israel would be ashamed of Bethel, the golden calf, the false gods could not stop the destruction or captivity for Moab or for Israel or for any of us. I pray that Bethel, we have that place Bethel in our hearts, that very special place where the Lord has spoken to us and touched our hearts and we know that he's real. And it's a very special place for us uh, that, that, Lord, I have a Bethel that I can go to and worship and spend time there, but that we wouldn't become complacent, complacent to where other things begin to move in. Other things become a priority. But, Lord, that, that I want to keep that place I want to keep that place in my heart where you dwell in my heart. And I have other things crowded or push you out of my heart. To become complacent and lazy and, and just taking for granted things that, that you've blessed us with or our relationship with you. And in verse 14, how can you say we are mighty and strong men for the war? Moab has plundered and gone up from her cities. Her chosen young men have gone down to the slaughter, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And the calamity, verse 16, of Moab is near at hand, and his affliction comes quickly. Bemoan him, all you who are around him, and all you who know his name. Say how strong the staff is broken, uh, the beautiful rod. So Moab's mighty men could not save her. She will be quickly destroyed, uh, be, you know, broken, um, the strong staff broken uh, because of the, the judgment of the Lord that would come upon them. And then in verse 20, or verse 18, excuse me, O daughter inhabiting Dibon, come down from your glory and sit in thirst, for the plunder of Moab has come against you. He has destroyed your stronghold, O inhabitants of Aorur. Stand by the way and watch. Ask him who flees and her who escapes. Says, what has happened? Moab is shamed for the broken down. Wail and cry. Tell it in Arnan that Moab plunder. And judgment has come on the plain of country and uh, Holland and, and Jazaz. And all these places that are mentioned through verse 25. And the arm is broken, says the Lord, as you read through verse 25. So Dibon, that's first mentioned here, or Dibon, was at one time a mighty city. And those of the remnant of Aorur would stand by the road and, and ask the people that are fleeing, hey, what's going on? And the news of the fall would, would cause mourning because judgment came upon all those and all those places that are mentioned there in verse 25 and verse 26. Make him drunk because he exalted himself against the Lord. Moab shall wallow in his vomit, and he shall also be in Darison. For was not Israel a son to you? Was he found among thieves? For whenever you speak of him, you shall shake your head in scorn. 
You who dwell in Moab, leave the cities and dwell in the rock, and be like the doves which makes her rest. In, in the sides of the caves and mouth, we have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceedingly proud, again, speaking of that arrogance, his loftiness and arrogance and pride and the haughtiness of his heart. So these things that are being mentioned here, Moab is someone who is, is drunk and is wallowing in her, her vomit, um, and it's all due to her pride uh, that we see would lead to their downfall. And Jeremiah here, that as we, we read this, he's mourning as we continue to, to read. Verse 30, I know his wrath, says the Lord, but it is not right. His lies have made nothing right. Therefore, I will wail for Moab, he writes. I will cry out for all Moab. I will mourn for the man of Kurt Harris and Ovina Sibma. I will weep for you are the weeping of Jazer. Your plants have gone over the sea. They reach to the sea of Jazer. The plunder has fallen on your summer fruit and your vintage. Joy and gladness are taken from the plentiful field and from the land of Moab. I have caused wine to fail from the winepress. No one will tread with joyous shoutings, not joyous shoutings at all. So here, because they are prideful, they were Israel's enemy. Um, they wept because, um, you know, Jeremiah had a compassionate heart, a man of compassion. But what is our heart as we see Moab and people around us? that continue to just live according to their pride or arrogance or self-reliance or whatever. And, and we should weep in our hearts because we know that, it, that it's going to end up just being difficult and it's going to end up to where um, it's going to come to nothing. People need Jesus, need to humble themselves and come to Jesus is what uh, the Lord is telling us and not be prideful. And then as we continue here, and we're going to quickly finish the chapter in verse 34, from this cry of Heshbon to Elaleh and to Jahaz, the other from the voice from Zor and Honor Nahum, and like a three-year-old heifer, and from the waters of Nimrim, also shall be desolate. Verse 35, moreover, says the Lord, I will cause to seize in Moab the one who offers sacrifices in the high places, and burns incense to his gods. Therefore my heart shall wail like flutes for Moab, like flutes my heart shall wail, and for the man of Ker Harris, therefore the riches they have acquired have perished. And for the, every head shall be bald, and every beard clipped, and all the hands shall be cut, and on the loin sackcloth, a general lamentation, and all the housetops of Moab, and in the streets. For I broke a Moab like a vessel, in which no pleasure, says the Lord. Verse 39, they shall wail. How shall she be broken down? How Moab has turned her back with shame. So Moab shall be a garrison, and dismay to all of those about her. For thus says the Lord, Behold, one shall fly like an eagle and spread his wings over Moab. And he goes on and he talks about that the mighty men's heart in Moab one day shall be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. Moab shall be destroyed as a people because he exalted himself against the Lord. Fear and a pit and snare shall be upon you, inhabitants of Moab, says the Lord. He who flees from the fear shall fall into the pit, and he who gets out of the pit shall be caught into the snare. For Moab upon it I will bring the year of their punishment, says the Lord. And then he goes on and he speaks about 
about how the uh, Moabites would cease to be a people in the last three verses there. But there's an interesting verse in the last verse of the chapter. Yet I will bring back the captives of Moab in the latter days, says the Lord. So there's some latter day prophecy that is given probably speaking about the millennium period. So they're going to cease to be a people. That is, they would lose their national identity when they were overrun by uh, the Babylonians. And, and uh, we are going to read more about them when we get into the book of Ezekiel. Uh, but they will be restored in the latter days. So because of their pride, because they thought that, you know, they had strongholds, the mighty man's hearts shall be you know, uh, weakened, and they will be overtaken by Babylon. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these prophecies that are given that, that show us that we need you, that what you say is true. We don't want to be prideful. We don't want to be arrogant, trusting in our own treasures and togetherness. But, Lord, look into you. And we don't want to put our trust in anything other than you. We don't want our Bethel to be a place where there's idols and there's false worship or any of those things. And Lord, we know that your kingdom is going to last forever and that we don't have to be afraid because you preserve us and you'll never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, as we read these things, that it's a long list of indictments against these places that a lot of it took place a long time ago, but it, it teaches us lessons. It's written for our admonition that, Lord, that, that we don't want to be ones that live our life without you and looking to you and trusting in you in every way. So I thank you for this Bible lesson. I thank you for these chapters that are written for our benefit, the prophet us, and, Lord, I pray that we will always keep our eyes on you, keep our hope on you, and, Lord, look to you. Because Egypt will be defeated, and we know that your kingdom will be established. And, Lord, that we would always keep an eternal perspective. Lord, bless everyone here, and help us keep our eyes on you, trust in you, and rest in your love, because you'll never forsake us. And to be humbled before you in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a good rest of the week. Hope we see you on Sunday. Remember to register on our website, calvarychapelgreeley.org. God bless you.